0: welcome to the pact podcast where we discuss matters of Christian living and Christian discipleship for Christian community pact stands for prayer accountability confidentiality and truth essentials for doing life together in the local church I'm your co-host Tim Harvey alongside co-host Adam Rogers and Jason Burnett now on to the pact welcome back to uh, today Jason's not able to be with us and we thought it'd be a good opportunity to uh, talk about worship and ask our new associate pastor of music and worship here at Bethlehem Baptist Church to join us and talk about worship and talk about his his life and uh, just his call to ministry and and how he thinks through uh, worship leading and that sort of thing so uh, Brandon sickling is uh, been here with us what like two weeks now Brandon Something like that. A
1: little longer than that, but in the office, yeah, two weeks.
0: Two weeks in the office. office. He's been here uh, off and on for a few months on Sundays and leading worship. So um, how about we start by – I know that here at Bethlehem you've taken some time to um, tell about yourself, but there might be some people listening who haven't heard about you and your family. So why don't you uh, start by just telling us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from South Georgia, uh, but my father was a pastor, so we moved around a lot and came to Kentucky. When I was a freshman in high school, um, I was saved at a young age. Um, again, like I said, I was in a pastor's house, so I was hearing the gospel day in and day out. Um, we were always at church, you know, so I was always being poured into by these great gospel influences, both of my parents, um, my older sister, my grandparents were missionaries. So I was just constantly hearing the gospel um, and seeing it lived out in front of me. And that drove me to um, really feel this uh, envy, this jealousy, like I want what they have. And I realized from a young age, I believe I was seven years old, uh, that they had something that I didn't, and that thing was a relationship with Jesus. And so um, again, when I was seven, I uh, rode my bike over to my dad's office, and I told him, "Daddy, I want to be a Christian." And so we talked about what that meant, and I, I repented of my sins that day. We prayed to receive Christ. So, um, fast forward a couple of years. Uh, like I said, we moved to Kentucky when I was a freshman in high school, and um, around that time, I started to um, really feel like I uh, needed to get serious about my faith. I guess you could say. Uh, went to Church Camp Crossings Ministries here in uh, Western Kentucky, and there I had a an experience that I just r- realized the depth of my sins and how in need of a Savior I was, and just really uh, understood, I guess, to a deeper level, because I don't think any of us ever really fully mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. Obviously, we, we serve an infinite God, and uh, so... Just came to a deeper understanding of the gospel, what it meant that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. So uh, kind of recommitted my life to Christ then, started feeling a call to ministry around that time, uh, which led me into uh, music and that side of ministry. And so I've been in school since then, you know, <laughs> studying to uh, be a worship pastor or to be used by God in whatever capacity He'd have me to serve.
0: Very cool. So, um, of course, you're married. Your wife is Taylor, and yes. two ch- two children.
1: Yes, Daniel and Leah. Uh, Leah is two and a half, and sassy. Mm. And then Daniel <laughs> is uh, a newborn. He he was born uh, just a couple months ago. He's uh, growing like crazy, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it they do that. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: No, I li- literally today Haddon was in the hall here at church uh, with VBS going on and Kara fell over and I was like, what, what's going on? And I look over and had had literally just with his body weight had knocked her, her over. over. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> It's fine.
0: He's they just massive. Quickly. That's four for years sure. Old. It's hard to, when you got them different ages, but they're still young because, you know, I try to throw Rowan around, which is getting harder <laughs> to do, but then Ezra doesn't know why I can't just throw him around the way I do her. <laughs> you know, but, um, poundage
2: difference yeah a little bit
0: (laughs) um so let's start off just talking about worship in general uh how do you think about worship how would you define it and then maybe uh a good thing to talk about specifically dealing with how you're serving here is uh how are music and worship related to each other in the context of church
1: yeah that's good uh so i guess let's start with a definition uh Worship is one of those things I feel is kind of hard to define, so I'm not using my definition. Uh, I borrowed this from Alan Ross, his book uh, on worship called Recalling a Hope of Glory. Um, And his definition is, True worship is the celebration of being in covenant fellowship with the sovereign and holy triune God by means of the reverent adoration and spontaneous praise of God's nature and works the expressed commitment of trust and obedience to the covenant responsibilities and the memorial reenactment of entering into covenant through ritual acts, all with the confident anticipation of the fulfillment of the covenant promises and glory. So kind of a multifaceted, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, very, yeah. very inclusive definition, because worship, it covers all aspects of our life. I mean, it's kind of all over the place. A lot of times we can get confined into thinking um, our singing on Sunday morning is worship, and that's the extent of it. Yeah. Um, But in in his definition, and one of the things that I like about it, you know, he hits um, the fact that it is a celebration, and how do we celebrate? Well, Yes, we do sing, you know, happy birthday. We sing different different songs when we're happy, when we're excited, celebrating. But we do a lot of other things when it comes to celebrating. You know, we uh, we do all sorts we of things eat. like... sorry, We what? eat. Yes, we eat. Eat can be you worship. <laughs> Eating can be worship, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, for example, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and he talks about that as well, the memorial reenactment of entering into covenant. You know, we're talking about the Lord's Supper baptism as... Um, rites as uh some would call them sacraments that's not the word i would usually use
2: um, no you don't want to open that can
1: i don't want to open that can <laughs> <again. Continue now. laughs> we'll, we'll do that another day uh but but I, I like that definition it's kind of a long one so i don't think i'll read it again but feel free to uh back it up if you need to uh it's, it is a good definition um so as, as for what that means for me on sunday morning i i guess uh My focus is generally on music uh, as Associate Pastor of Music and Worship, Um, but I don't usually like to start uh, thinking through songs. I usually like to start from scriptures, and I usually will draw those um, from themes of the previous week. I I like to, uh, as I'm listening to a week's sermon, I'm thinking, what are the major themes that are here and... How does that relate to um, what we can do next week? So, for instance, right now we're starting the Lord's Prayer. Um, And this sermon this last week, um, we were talking especially about um, not being a hypocrite when we pray. We're praying for the greater – how did you put it, Tim? The greater greater reward. The greater reward. And so for this coming week, I've been thinking through – um, what is that greater reward? And of course, uh, that greater reward that we get is um, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Tim mentioned in his sermon was talking about the, uh, Eze- It's not Ezekiel. Forgive me, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so I've decided that we're going to start out by reading that passage. Just a short little excerpt of it. And the the pinnacle of that story is everyone on the mountain uh, shouting. Uh, the Lord, He is God, Yahweh, mm-hmm. He is God. And so we're just going to start right there for Sunday morning, and that's going to be our declaration. That's going to be our worship there in that in that moment. And then we'll sing a couple of songs that I've chosen to go along with that passage. And so we're not responding to a message that we're going to hear later in the service, as sometimes mm. we would do. Uh, I used to pick songs that way, you know, pick for this week's theme leading into the sermon that we're about to hear. Rather, I like to reflect on last week's sermon. Hmm, okay. And again, starting from Scripture and then choosing songs to go with the Scriptures. So that as brings some
0: continuity to, from the previous week. And exactly. also the song ends up being more responsive instead of an anticipatory way of singing for what's going to be heard. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You got a question? I know about it. I
2: I don't know which way I want to go with it. I've got so many questions. Yeah. So song choices in particular, mm-hmm. you know. So one thing that you were talking about uh, in that definition is that worship is very multifaceted, and it's certainly not. It's not tied specifically to like genre, you know. Like so, what makes a song worth singing in congregational worship? Maybe you need to find that for us, uh, versus something that can be used in you know singing down the road kind of worship. Mm-hmm or humming out in the field kind of worship. What What is the criterion that you're looking for in a, in a song that makes it worthy of a congregational singing?
1: Obviously, we want it to be scripturally sound, mm. and not only that, but very clear with what it's saying. Yeah, uh, A lot of songs, you know, you could interpret it to be scripturally sound, to be uh, in line with what the Bible teaches, but At the same time, it can have kind of a Jesus is my boyfriend type vibe, if you know what I mean. Um, Anybody
2: who has been in church through the 2000s should know exactly what you're talking about. know exactly what I'm
1: talking about. So uh, we want it to be very specific with the truths that we're singing, and we want those truths to be uh, generally generally applicable to everyone in the congregation. Mm. Um, One of the questions I often will ask myself when I'm choosing – whether or not to put a song into our rotation. Um, One of the questions I like to ask myself is, is this a song that I would want a member of our church to be singing on their deathbed? Hmm. Because we internalize a lot of theology through our singing. That's true. And music is one of those things that sticks with us throughout the years. You hear all these people that lose their memory, but what do they remember? They remember songs mm-hmm. that they sang as a child that they've sung all their life, and often it's those hymns of the faith that are just so scripturally sound and um, full of great doctrines that they'll remember, and that's what I want for the members of our church. I want them to have those great, deep songs that they can go back to and remember throughout their week, whether... They're going through easy times, hard times, um the good and bad of life, whatever's going on, I want them to be able to sing uh those songs and really mean them, you know mm-hmm. them be truthful as they're singing those things
2: so it's not just that a, that a song has Christian in front of the <laughs>
1: uh
2: you know the, the descriptor right. I had actually a conversation with a student uh that doesn't go here uh last night they they asked uh well. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to bring this up, but they they asked I already have they asked about Long Black Train and like why that song is not okay for church, right? Well, I said, well, I want to help you think through that, so I you know kind of turned it on them, started asking the questions, and basically what I got them to to see is that one the song is not saying anything wrong necessarily, but they didn't know what it was about. When I asked, "What is this song about?" Ah, uh, death, maybe sin, maybe that's okay. It's actually about temptation, according mm-hmm. to the author, you know, but you don't see that clearly. So I'm getting to Brandon's point, like it's clear mm-hmm. uh, songs that we pick. We want them to be clear and understandable. You know, that doesn't mean it doesn't have poetic expression from time to time, but at least it's accessible, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And also, it's just the song. It doesn't it's not congregational. There's a lot of different things about right. it. So it was interesting that I was having that conversation last night. So thinking through what you just said, it's really applicable because not every song that says it's got Christian influence or has a Christian descriptor is a song that we want to use in corporate worship. That's exactly right. So, yeah, it's
0: good. What about some of the more practical questions? So, like, maybe there's songs that are theologically sound and clear but you still might not choose them for Sunday morning for sure what would be the reasons that you know if they're biblically sound theologically sound that you might say this still wouldn't be a very good song to use
1: yeah i think one of the the biggest is singability Mm -hmm. um not everyone in our congregation is particularly musical um So you want to be able to choose songs that people are comfortable singing, Mm. that don't go too high or too low. Uh, You usually want to keep it within an octave, octave and a half range. You know, some of these, uh, especially more modern songs, they'll have, you know, you sing the first verse in the low octave, and then you sing the chorus, second verse starts in the low octave, and then boom, you jump into the, the higher register and... You know, those aren't always bad. In fact, believe it or not, I think we sang one last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but in general, you know, I think you you kind of want to watch out with those, because um, once you start singing so high, people start getting uncomfortable, and, uh, you know, it's not all about our comfort, but at the same time, if, if we're singing congregationally, we want the voice of the congregation to be the most important thing. You know, the instrumentalists on the stage and the people on the stage aren't, um, it's not a concert, it's, uh, worship. So yeah. we're wanting to lead them and make sure that they are able to sing what we're, what we're singing. Yeah. You- that's something and interesting to think that. through
0: <laughs> as a, uh, you know, if, as you're thinking about music, uh, something I've dealt with in the past, which it's become easier as i've gotten older because i my range has gotten smaller but at one time i thought well if the key was just a little bit higher it sounds better it yeah. sounds more powerful you yeah. know yeah so you kind of want to pick the higher key because it's it's you know it seems more powerful and it it feels like it sounds better and all that yeah but then you start thinking about whether people can actually sing it or not and you think, well, actually it would probably be better and people would probably sing more freely if it's in this mm-hmm. other key that maybe we don't sound as good as a band doing it, mm-hmm. but it still would be better right. in this setting to, to do it there. That, so I know that maybe a lot of people listening would say, well, well, I wouldn't think through all that. But that's, that is that is a, a lot of the things of it, that goes yeah. through your mind as you're thinking through how to put songs in keys. and Yeah, well, and it's odd.
2: I think it's so important, because just speaking for myself, because I don't have range at all. But whenever y'all are singing in a range that is whatever that is, I don't know what key, you know, those sorts of things, whatever is most comfortable, I'm going to belt. I'm yeah. not a good singer, but I will belt it because I feel comfortable enough to be able to not be terribly atrocious, you know, I guess. <laughs> but um, but anytime it gets anywhere out of that and I can't do that, I have to, I'm not whispering, but I feel like I'm either exhaling low Or, you know, like that sort of thing. So I don't feel like I'm able to sing as powerfully as I want. It doesn't mean that my heart's not singing that song. There's still worship that's happening. But when we're talking about congregational worship, like what you're talking about, having finding that right Mm -hmm. range of, you know, that right balance there, I think, promotes the congregation to sing together because mm-hmm. i i think we've all probably been in a room at some point where there's a there's several people not singing and you're the one who wants to sing but now you're looking at people and they they're not for whatever mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. and you dampen the power of the congregation singing together you mm-hmm. know and so i think just practically from my perspective like when y'all do that well it, it's great yeah. you know from our perspective so
0: so maybe we should ask the question why does it matter like somebody's saying well okay you want to, you're trying to make all these decisions that we don't wouldn't even think about about putting them in keys and singability and all that so everybody can sing more but what would be wrong with just singing a really powerful song and everybody in the congregation just sitting down and listening to it why why do we why are we so think it's so important that the congregation sing and then why is it why is it such a process to make sure that songs are selected so that the congregation can sing
1: yeah i think it boils down to Christians are a singing people. Mm. We always have been. I mean, you read in uh, in the scriptures, especially in the book of Revelation, we even see that in heaven we're going to be singing, you know? And so as Christians, we sing. We always have. We always will. And that's not just the people on the stage. That's the people in the pews. Yeah. And so if... We're all supposed to be singing, then we want everyone to be able to sing. Yeah. You know? So I like to strive for undistracting excellence. And what I mean by that is the musicians on the stage are playing their best. They're playing to the glory of God, trying to be excellent in all they do. But at the same time, we're seeking to be undistracting. It can be very distracting, I think, when. Um, you know different things like guitar solos or uh, excessive harmonies or different things like that that can just really take the focus off the worship and put it on the band. Mm. And so I, I try to uh, try to push for that undistracting excellence. I think that term comes from John Piper. I think that was his term that he mm. coined. Um, okay, but it's Heard one it. that I one yeah, that I yeah. love. And uh, so. I always try to strive for that. I don't know if we always hit it, but, you know, we do our best.
0: Yeah, yeah that's good. What else? Mm.
2: I don't know. We have dead air. We can't have dead air. <laughs> I I don't know. My brain's going all sorts of different directions, and I'm still recovering from the weekend of, uh, like, chest congestion and stuff, so my brain's not at all all good. But So um, when it comes to the songs you talked about, being theologically accurate what's the uh how, how do we think through or help people think through um we there's different there's different movements that have songs and they're very very popular on the radio they're very very popular in their own circles but when when i look at it i say well the content of the song is speaking mainly about me is what it feels like my benefits and and of what i get out of the relationship of being a christian uh versus songs where they they would on the opposite side say that we're all stiff uh orthodox you know people who are singing songs about God with never no feeling and stuff, so which I think is a misnomer too. so what does that blend then of thinking through a set of songs in which we we wanna we wanna say, sing truth together and we are worshiping God, but we're also uh, encouraging one another. so what's that balance look like between a godward worship and then the encouragement of the saints through singing?
1: Yeah. Well, you talk about those songs that are, you know, really me focused. And usually I'm a little uncomfortable with those, but if you look at the Psalms, there's a lot of uh, me, my language mm-hmm. where David or one of the other psalmists is speaking about himself. But usually when he's talking about that, he's talking about himself in relation to. God, you know, so it's usually him repenting or uh, crying out to God for some other reason. So um, we obviously want to have that Godward focus, um, but I guess more to your question with uh, making it congregational as we're encouraging one another, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, One of the things that I I love about our church is that I can hear the congregation at all times, uh, because that is so encouraging to me. Mm. Uh, just being able mm. to hear everyone singing together—that we're proclaiming these truths together. These are things that we have in common, and I hope that that's encouraging to y'all as well. Mm. I mean, mm.
2: I guess, it, yeah, it does. I'm just—I'm trying to think of questions like from the pulpit or right. from the pulpit, from the uh, from the pew of like because I mean I, I think that people. See those kinds of songs, and they they sing them wholeheartedly in the car, and then they wonder why why are those songs they're so you know everybody's singing them, everybody loves them, and then we see them as well. They're not saying enough, uh, okay, you know that kind of thing about so. who God is, and and then you know for me, I want I, I think I derive like you just said the most amount of encouragement in co- congregational worship when the focus of the song is on God. And I am confessing the same truth as everybody in the room. Right. And the encouragement comes that we're confessing the same truth towards the same God who has loved us so deeply. So that's the that's the communal aspect of it that encourages me the most. Not that someone's singing a song that's telling me about the benefits, which right. obviously Scripture talks about the benefits of, of sure. well, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, like, mm-hmm. we've got some benefits. But that is all meant to be given to us in order to turn that back as means of praise to God. So just trying, maybe my question wasn't good, but just trying to think from the pew, you know, like, how is a person thinking about our song selection whenever maybe it doesn't always match the radio that they're listening to? Right.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of popular songs on the radio. And I think a lot of times those, again, they can not be so clear with their theology. Sometimes they are. And, um, you know... With those, you just, you got to be careful with them, I guess. Mm -hmm. I I usually try to take it on a song by song basis. Um,
0: so. Well, and a lot of songs on the radio, they're not necessarily thinking about congregational singing when they're writing them. So they're not really that, um, singable. Right. Uh, yeah. There, there are a few groups out there that, uh, as they're writing songs, they are thinking about congregational worship. They're not thinking about radio play right. as they're writing the songs. So they're want, they're they're actually writing the songs so that it's almost uh, predictable mm-hmm. in what what uh, uh, how the movement of the song is going to be. Right. Uh, but a lot of the songs that you'd hear on the radio, unless you're you know listening to the song over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again, it might not be so simple to right. to sing it together collectively. Yeah. Yep.
1: So. and and not all of those are bad i mean a lot of there's a lot of um places that i would use songs like that like for instance in my own personal worship time when i'm just you know just strumming on the guitar enjoying um just spending time worshiping you know by myself with god um i might use one of those songs that i wouldn't necessarily use in corporate worship because I know what I mean when I'm singing these words. I'm not falling into any uh, Mm. deficient theology or anything. I know what I'm saying to God. So, um, Or, for instance, in a family worship setting, you know, where it's just me and my family and we're uh, spending time in our home worshiping God, I might also use one of those songs because I can take the time to explain to my wife, make sure she and I are on the same page with what this song yeah. means or how we're intending this song, and we can teach our kids uh, what we're meaning by that. Yeah, so That's good. Uh, so those are some you know, other settings that you can use, those good songs uh, from the radio that maybe you wouldn't use in a congregational setting.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Any, um, so we do pack picks. Yeah. These are resources, books, et cetera, that you would recommend. So since you're our special guest of honor with the expertise in worship. You got any pack picks for us, books, resources, articles, etc.
1: So first would be Worship Matters by mm-hmm. Bob Coughlin. Um, it is the textbook on worship, I think, or at least for the worship leader. Uh, it is phenomenal. I High, highly recommend it. Bob's a, a mentor of mine. Uh, he was my worship pastor when I was at Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville for a long time. So I learned a lot from him. Highly recommend his book. Again, it's Worship Matters. Um, another one is it's a tiny little book called Sing, and it's it's written by Keith and Kristen Getty. You probably know them uh, from songs like In Christ Alone. Um, what are some of their other more mm-hmm. famous hymns? The uh, Power of the Cross. Power of the Cross. Good that. one.
0: Um.
2: Just come to worship here with us at Bethlehem. And you'll hear Yes, it we, Keith we sing and a lot of Getty Some of their here songs at, uh,
1: here yeah. at Bethlehem. So uh highly recommend that one. Again, that's Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty. That one's really focused on the congregation, uh, mm. which I think is a is a great thing. It's, I think it'd be good for every every member of a church to read because it talks about uh, congregational worship and and all that. Uh, and then a third one, I guess I already mentioned it. Uh, it was uh, Recalling the Hope of Glory by uh, Alan P. Ross. Uh, it's, it's really good. It gets a little more technical. It's, I guess, a little bit of a higher level of thinking. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a tougher read, but it's uh, highly enjoyable. Keep a, keep a pen handy when you're reading uh, really all of them, but especially yeah. that one.
0: That Very one good. good. Brandon, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you all for having me.
0: And uh, we will be back with Jason, I think, next week. Yep. So.
2: And Brandon, we'll see you down the hall.
0: All right. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the PACT Podcast. Weekly, we get together to think out loud discussing ethics, apologetics, theology, and how to apply God's Word to our everyday lives. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. For more information about our podcast, to connect with us or our church families, visit thepact.podbean.com. We pray you've been encouraged today and that you'll take the pact with a group of close believers pursuing prayer, accountability, confidentiality, and truth.